Red on Red. This is Can You Feel It? It's an old tune to a new beat. Check. Like the best of plans, can you hear it? Like trying to communicate from alien lines. Understood if you understand. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it tumble towards you like elephant feet? There's blood in the puddles of the late night streets. So incensed with rage, skin tightens and creeps. Awaiting me on the rocks behind trees. The temperature is rising like it's never ever been seen. A body so numb, it cannot feel the pinch. As the cannibals slowly choose our chosen inch. Not noticing is of no coincidence. Denial has defied me of truth's importance. That shit you have to sell me has no relevance. Inside I must reside to find acceptance of exoskeleton. Soft hardcore, I run away but did the attic of the house next door when i have all i need i have no greed to want more i throw down my defenses to release my amour support the in the struggle people feel me so support the in the struggle people feel me so 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 can you feel it power in the palm of your hands can you see it? They got like the best of plans. Can you hear it? Like trying to communicate from alien lands. Understood if you understand. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you see them all around? Bright starlight sparkles. Words straight from my heart to strangers in the darkness. Fear obstructing visions. Friends dearly departed. I never knew how to deal with any of the shit that I started. Who me? Purely innocent I be. I'm sorry, but there's really somewhere else I have to be. Open mountain top plateau, solitary tree. Denial supports dwelling in misery happily. Ah, the fog. I cannot see the back of my hand held tight in this grip by hallucination. I accept you have my total concentration. From now on, I live my life with focused dedication. Once I was careless, now I stand naked and fearless. Move towards a rise of motivation, courageous. Metamorphosize as the cocoon changes. Spring forth from your shell, shine. Heightened awareness, 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 shine. Heightened awareness. Can you feel it? Power in the palm of your hands. Can you see it? Laid out like the best of plans. Can you hear it? Like trying to communicate with alien lines. Understood if you understand. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you hear it? Understood if you understand. Understood if you understand. Understood. If you understand 
Can you hear the dulcet tones of my distant coexistence? Screaming at the top of my lungs, yet they can't hear it. Striving to survive to put you better resistance. I carry on to live my life without your assistance. It's fear is what's holding back. I hear it as clearly as conversation point blank. Everything I tell you is true, wise and intact. Without fighting this issue, my soul can't interact. Here it may be like swallowing thunderous seas. The deaf can now hear, the blind can now see. Post the settling of unrivaled cacophony that now exists. Euphonious harmony, rectangular, pentangular, triangular, circle square. All come to a point like as if they were never there. A love of despair, rocket your internal flare. Shine light in the place of the most intense glare. Shine light, 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 shine light. Can you feel it? Power in the palm of your hands. Can you see it? Laid out like the best of plans. Can you hear it? Like trying to communicate with alien lines. Understood if you understand. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you hear it? Understood if you understand. Understood if you understand. Ophelia McCabe with Can You Feel It? This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast, dropping every Wednesday evening via Cork's Red FM and redextra.ie. We're also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen. I'm Mike McGrath-Brien, and for this episode, we're joined live in the intimate surrounds of Winthrop Avenue, with a little bit of a sound warning, because we're running opposite the Monster Match, so uh, there will be yep. ambient noise, uh, by a legend in Irish hip-hop, rapper, musician, vocalist, spoken word artist, and music educator, Ophelia McCabe. Ophelia, how's it going? Grand, yourself? Delighted to have you on. I've been meaning to talk to you for a while as well, because you've been quite busy in Cork for the last couple of years. Um, but I suppose the one thing, more than anything else to talk about at the minute, is Pack Animal, your new improvisational band, which is a monthly residency inside in the Crane Lane Theatre. Um, recent gigs have been doing well, and you've been keeping busy also with the Love Movement. Last weekend, you were playing as part of Cutting Heads Collective's uh, anniversary gigs there. How, did, how have you found your recent kind of flurry of activity? Um, loving it. Um, yeah, I've been I've been busy enough, and it's gr been great because I wanted to get busier in terms of like playing live. Um, so I approached Kate O'Shea uh, of the Crane Lane <clears throat> um, at the beginning of the year, and I said I really would love to do a residency. Um, and she said okay, and she's been amazingly supportive, you know, um, of anything I've tried. And I don't know where she gets her trust from me, but she does. And it's brilliant because all I needed was some kind of uh, just belief and support yeah. and, you know, be given the, the time slot and then I can fill it the way I want to. So Pack Animal um, has arisen out of a need of mine for many things. But basically, I choose different players every month and I basically send them a few pointers and we don't rehearse, and we go and we play for two hours, uh, once a month in the crane, and we create songs live. So, which is wild. But improvisation has been a big part of your body of work, and yeah. you know we'll talk about that in a little while. But first things first. Um, you know, Irish hip hop is currently experiencing a boom period. Um, you know, it's healthier in a way that's never been before, and certainly in a way that few genres have been healthy domestically uh, than they have been in recent years. You know, you're something of a pioneer in that regard, in that you've been kind of in and around the game since maybe 2002. Um, 
kind of talk to us a little bit about kind of growing up in Dublin, your musical background, and your very earliest experiences kind of leading to you taking on initial kind of jams and improvisations. A uh, traumatic childhood led to uh, wanting to hit things <laughs> and make sound out of that. <laughs> so um, I come from an artistic background as well, you know, and we had, we had space to do that. And over time, we developed a room uh, which we just completely took over and then started to fill with just any type of instruments that we could. Where is this? In East Wall in Dublin. Cool. And, uh, you know, myself and my two brothers were just, we, we definitely needed an outlet, you know, and I, our, our family home was like a pressure cooker. Um, so that's what we used to do. We would, we would jam and play together. So it started as young as I could rhythmically put any kind of pattern together with any part of my body, you know? Yeah. Um, so I didn't, the, the, my two brothers got into kind of instrumentation more so, um, but I was definitely like a rhythm fiend. And... Um, got a drum kit as soon as I could and I was always writing but the but the jamming aspect of it or the sonic desire that I have came before I wrote any words down so um yeah that's where it started from and it kind of went from there I went through I was in conventional schooling mainstream schooling um nobody ever recognized any type of musical aptitude in me whatsoever um so that was right up until I went back to study music in the School of Music at uh, 35 uh, to do a, uh, a BA in popular music and then I went on to do a master's in, in music performance. But, you know, I, I really think, I, I feel like I did those things to prove to myself that I could actually uh, grasp musicianship. Um, and I'll take from those experiences what was positive for me, but I, you know, you don't know, you don't need to go to school or you don't need to be appro the approval of anybody actually to make good music ever. And that's what I know, you know, so. Working from those initial jams with your family, um, you start to kind of get involved with the wider hip hop scene in Dublin, which in 2002 yeah. was an entirely different country to what's happening now. Maybe yeah. talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with what was happening up in Dublin at the time, kind of just give us a feel for venues, spaces, people, places, just generally the, because you were involved with Scary Era to an extent, or? Yeah, well, we, we were at all their gigs. So um, kind of following on from that, where there was maybe a bit of a lull after Scary Era kind of tapered off. Yeah, you know, there wasn't even a lull. They were still going, but I suppose they were, they were, they were on their own journey. And there was a load of heads in Dublin, and I met Tim, uh, Exile Eye, Tim Ording, and uh, he lived in Cork for many years as well. And... He noticed that I had something going, and, and I was... So this was late 90s. Yeah. Um, I started... I, I give two, 2002 a date for me because I started as a prof with a professional mind from that day on. Cool. But um, in the late 90s, I started to do verses. And um, there were so many different venues in Dublin at that time. I mean, it, it, granted, there's, a, a, an, there's an understanding in the Irish... Um, in, in Irish culture at the moment, I think there's like a, a familiarity with spoken word. Mm. And that has led to a greater appreciation of rap and hip hop. Yeah. But that appreciation was always in our community from way back. Yeah. It's always been in, in the Irish community and it's always been very vibrant here, you know? There's just way more people doing it now mm. and it's way more done. So it's made w way more available and therefore then easier to say I'm a rapper I'm a producer I'm an MC whatever yeah. do you know so um, but yeah uh, Re-Raw from Scary Era was amazing to me I mean he was just like 
I'm blown away by you. You need to keep doing this thing. And, you know, I had a lot of support. So uh, also I picked up, I mean, God, if I was to try and name all the, the venues, I mean, we're talking about maybe six or seven venues in Dublin that had hip-hop nights all the time. Yeah. It was, and that was late 90s, early 2000s. So um, I think it was after that things kind of dropped off a bit, maybe, you know, it started to, I don't know. I don't know where things went, but... Working with Exile Eye is an interesting one because I got familiar mm. with his work with uh, Melodica Death Ship, the stuff that kind of yeah. happened in the mid-2000s with you oh, uh, man from Neurosis. Uh, you also did a lot of work with people like DJ Moss Chops, uh, you know, yeah, the yeah. scratchologists that are Years still doing it. working with, with Harry, yeah. Maybe talk to us a little bit about the collaborations that you had with these guys, with Exile Eye, with Moss Chops, and just how different the process was then compared to what it is now. Well, I've, I've enjoyed uh, really a diverse array of process, <laughs> if, if that's the best way to describe it. Um, I've approached what I do from every possible angle I could conceive of so far, and it's been different with every everyone I've worked with. Um, with with Tim, you know, he, he, he'd show me a beat, and I'd write to the beat, and then I'd come back and he'd record me, and that was the way I started with Harry as well, so DJ Moss Chops and, and Exile Eye. Um, and then, when I first met the lads from um, from Red Square, I then, in the beginning, would bring music from Harry or uh, from DJ Moss Chops and say, okay, well, can we do this live? And the music then began to develop into other types of music. And working with Red Square as my first band was really mind-blown, really, because they're an incredible improvisational outfit. And... Um, so how did Red Square get started as well? Because like this would have been about 2006. You'd have done your thing for a while and you'd have most definitely have found your own voice by this stage, having done verses. Maybe talk to us a little bit about how it came together before we kind of talk about... This is an interesting interlude. I don't think I found my voice until recently. That's, that's okay. just to say that. That's quite, you know, but... Um, and I'm still just exploring that as a new voice now. It's, it's interesting. It's come along. It's taken a long time. Um, but... Red Square were formed way before 2006. They're friends, and I think they come from like a similar area. I think a few of them are from around Dundalk, Dunleary kind of way. And, um, sorry, not Dundalk. Dalky. Dalky. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the lads were working together for ages. I met Dennis Cassidy at, um, at a party one night, and we just, we just clicked straight away. And... That was it. So we, we began. He brought the he got the rest of the lads involved, and at the same time, mixtapes from the underground was started by Dennis and Darrow Kelly, and um, I, I, that was an That was always going to be an improvisational thing. But Red Square were improvisational. But when it became Ophelia and Red Square, we would tackle like written pieces and we would get into the detail with that and I very much wanted to you know like make records I wanted to that to be a band for my life and that's because that's all I'm seeking ultimately is to be in a band of productive like-minded amazing creatures that that are loyal and that go from here till we die like that's all I've ever wanted um that's the reason why I do Pack Animal, because yeah. it's practically impossible. It is. So that's one reason, number one, for doing Pack Animal. Yeah. But um, 
So we enjoyed amazing stuff. We got to open for Ice Cube. We got to tour with Damien Dempsey. We got to open for Pete Rock. We got to, I mean, it was like De La Soul. It was mixtapes. That was a bit later, but we had a lot of successes. I did all the booking, you know, and the lads were amazing. We met every week. It was solid and it was a great experience. Talk to us a little bit about, I suppose, the differences between writing uh, with, you know, Red Square and Ophelia and then improvisation and hopping in with mixtapes from the underground. Because again, you know that your process kind of differs from person to person, mm. but the circumstances are different this time around. Again, as we mentioned, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the kind of more high profile supports later. Yeah. Um, I suppose just. Give us a little bit of insight, I suppose, about how your process changed or how you kind of went about things differently with the people involved. Um, to be honest, to give, it, to give you a, a, a best, the best picture of how the process changed, I have to go from, I have to go from then to Pack Animal. Yeah. Because I used to use my written verses with, that I'd already written away from mixtapes from the underground, yeah. and, I'd, and I'd written with DJ Moss Chops who I then played with Ophelia and Red Square, yeah. that I would then play with, with mixtapes. It took me a long time to, to dissolve using written verses because my, my, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a masterful freestyler at all, but I am a songwriter. I'm a live songwriter. So the technical ability that I had with the written, written verse was so incredibly much, way better than yeah. what I could do live freestyling yeah. that I, it would quieten my freestyle rap yeah. because the, the two of them were not comparable so so thankfully I don't care anymore so like you know I, I'm, I'm learning now again and my, my, I have a pact with myself that I don't do anything written for Pack Animal yeah. at all ever so it's a code and I make a show myself doing it but I, I, that's that's my growth so people are getting to witness my growth and it's happening on stage and I've always grown on stage so now I do it then I it looked like I was doing it, but I wasn't because I was doing written verses because I was scared of, you know, not being perfect, basically. Mm. But, um, but it made it boring for me after a while because the lads were playing new music all the time and I was doing the same verses. And so I wanted to get away from that, you know. Um, but the only reason I couldn't really do so as well is because I wasn't the lead in, in, in mixtapes from the underground. I wasn't their leader. Mm. I am the leader of Pack Animal. It's a very big difference. And that's the role I need to be in. Mm. I need to be, I don't always need to be in charge, but I always need there to be a strong leadership culture. Yeah. And I need that to be there. And, um, and I've learned that and that's completely okay with me now. So now I can, I can call the shots and I, it means I have more freedom to, to do what I want to do. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about Pack Animal there in a wee bit, but I suppose, you know, you, you mentioned names like Ice Cube, like De La Soul, like Pete Rock, etc. Just, like, that's something that the average music head can really only imagine, can barely imagine, kind of rubbing shoulders with, you know, people that not only paved the way, but really built the way in a lot of cases for their respective genres. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of it is touring support that kind of came into Dublin and around Ireland. But I suppose, talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, receiving news that you'd be supporting these, these major names and just kind of the, I suppose, the experience of sharing a stage and collaborating. Well, I, I only got to open for those heads anyway, you know. Um, I've gotten to open for Saul Williams as well. I, like, like, Class. Amazing. You would not believe the people, like, amazing. Ultramagnetic MCs, Faro Monch, like, hello, 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 hello. Like, it, amazing, right? So, um, 
I've had a really vibrant experience of being a, a hip-hop artist from Ireland, and um, I've gotten to meet pretty much all my heroes in, if, for when I, I cared about stuff like that, you know? Mm. Now I realise we're, we're all just human beings. We're all uh, just people doing things. Yes, exactly. And also I have, a, um, a, thankfully, a far more minimal or residual ego. So back then, when that's pre-2009, I had a massive collapse in my life in 2010. Yeah. And everything changed. And everything had to change. And I'm very lucky to be alive. So pre that, I was caught up. So my experience was, unfortunately, tainted. It was tainted by my own ego, you know? And even though I had great successes and th things have happened where people go, oh my God, you open for them. Oh, wow, wow, wow. It's like, yeah, it's great. It's really great. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to appreciate anything. Um, well, in the moment, it can be difficult when, you know? you, when there's a whole buzz about it and you're just surrounded by all of this. Yeah, it can be. But you know what? I was, I was, uh, I was being hijacked by the notion of stardom. And it's extremely, extremely unhealthy. And musicians have it anyway, because we're born, you know, it's, it's in us and it's, it's being displayed to us as if it's the way to be a musician and that that's making it, you know, and uh, I was caught up in that and I was completely obsessed, I, I, you know, and, and I had great successes as a result of that obsession and I, and I was, a, you know, I, I charmed my way into those positions and, and I did the business and we, we went and we played great shows, but, you know, and look, let, let's call it for what it is. The music, was, the music was really, really good. And the message was raw and real and authentic. And that's all that matters. But unfortunately, I was unable to really appreciate that at the time because I was just pushing for bigger, better, more. And this stardom idea I had in my head, you know, um, which I know many, many musicians have. And it, and it causes us a great deal of ill health. Um, and it actually stops us mm. really achieving, you know, I suppose defining success for ourselves and doing what we want because it's the long game for most of us. But I mean, like all of these things that kind of happen to us and the realizations that, that we make, etc., that we kind of realize that we're up against maybe, you know, old time music mythologizing about what constitutes stardom, what constitutes uh, accomplishment and what it constitutes kind of success still has to be reconciled with kind of feeling well about what you're doing. But, um, you know, right around the end of that time, as you mentioned, 2009-2010, uh, you went on tour with Damien Dempsey. Yeah. That's a bit of a styles clash, isn't it? You know what, Damo's always, like, I was in school with Damo as well. You know, we were in the same school and he's a year ahead of me. And um, I don't know, if you listen to his records, man, he came out, the first thing he ever brought out was a rap record. I remember his reggae record, all right, from 96. It's a rap, a rap record. His first tune is a rap record. Jesus. He is a huge hip-hop fan. I, I, and I, he, you know, he has, if you, if you look into all of the acts that have supported him, there's a litany of hip-hop acts that have supported him. And he asked me himself. So it was no kind of, you know, we were just out and he was like, you need to do a few, you need to open for us a bit. We're doing three dates in Ireland Will you, will you open, you know? And I was like, yeah. But this is like, you know, the singer-songwriter bubble had popped by mm. the late 2000s and, you know, all the, you know, all, all of the various kind of big hitters had kind of gone away to the continent or gone to America, etc., or were landlocked and doing the greatest hits tours around the place. Um, <laughs> like, how did Damien Dempsey's fans kind of 
receive, um, yeah, they, receive something they like yourself? Absolutely, you know, if they like it was gas, <laughs> Do you know, I mean, you can hear people during the, the set going, Where's Damo? Like, <laughs> do you know, it just like, uh, like I remember we played Drada, oh my god. Oh God! It was it like it if I, I don't know how to like describe the room, but it's like every window in the whole room had people sticking out of it. Like everyone, it was so packed. Jesus! It was like people were spilling out the doorways and and windows. It was heaving. It it was an organism. It was a yeah. demo loving organism. Jesus! And we had no right to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, there was loads, of, like loads of stuff happened. People were like, "Where Damo? Where?" You know, all the way through it. And but, you know, I've I really have come up learning on stage, and I've played to no one, and I've played to full audiences that don't want me to be there. And you know, and I, I remember in, in the early days, it's a lot easier for me to do that than today because I'm a, a lot, I have a lot more proficiency in terms of I'm I'm less scared. Yeah. You know, and I can be vulnerable. Uh, easily and I practice that and I can be funny and I can be cheesy and I can be whatever it is that's happening at the time and I don't feel apologetic for that so I, I will find a way to actually relate to an audience far more easily because I'm far more accessible mm. in the beginning back then I was scared so I was aggro so you know I <laughs> There's a video. Thank God social media wasn't that funny. I think there's a lot of people in the there, Irish music industry that would say so. There was an Ice Cube uh, opening for Ice Cube. I brought the Rubber Bandits on with me. Nice. And before they before they got big, and they had done a tune called uh, Pure Awkward. With Ice Cube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where this is going. So I heard it and I was like, I got the Ice Cube gig and I was like, my next door neighbour in town in Dublin said, come here, check out Pure Awkward. And I was there, oh my God, these lads have to come on <laughs> and do a tune with Ophelia and Red Square in the opening for the Ice Cube gig. Yeah. So the lads came and did Pure Awkward, uh, to which it went over the heads of most people in the audience. Like, I mean, there was How about did six heads that got her. They went, yeah, about six people got it. Like, <laughs> they had the plastic bags on and everything. It was completely foreign to people. They didn't know what was going on. And they sang the whole tune about going to L.A. and getting high on crack and, like, shifting Ice Cube and Snoop Dogg. It's all, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's gas. The song is absolutely amazing, like, you know? Because Blind Boy told that story recently again in this podcast. He was Did interviewing he? he was interviewing B+, Plus, the, the, the hip-hop photographer. Right, out okay. In LA. Uh, he's from Limerick originally. And he told the Ice Cube story. The, the, as in giving Ice Cube the hurley and showing him the yeah, proper way to swing a hurley. Because yeah. <laughs> they nearly didn't get backstage past Ice Cube's tour manager because uh, he said, you know, the security, that the, the security that the lads brought over were like, I don't know how they got fucking passports. Well, they I were that's, that's part of it as well, though, isn't they it? They were straight up hood. Like, they were serious. There was no joking. Like, right? yeah. So they were standing in front of, um, in front of the, the, the backstage area or whatever. And uh, they were like, 
the lads went in with their hurl and it was signed by all their mates in Limerick. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, line boy or one of them had gone and said, uh, can I have your hurl, you know? And your man was like, no, it's my hurl. And he goes, I'm going to give it to Ice Cube. I'm like, here, give it the hurl. So everyone started like signing it. So they went in and kind of proffered this thing when they got past security because they were like, hey, no, we can't let you take that back on the airline, man. We can't have a weapon on the airline. And it's like, man, it's a hurl. Like, it's like a baseball bat, like, except it's Irish, you know? Yeah. They were like, all right, grand, let him in. So they, <laughs> so they basically went in and, and kind of offered it to him. You know, he didn't know what to do with the thing, but it was amazing. And, and uh, it was brilliant to play with them that night. And it was real high, like, because that was, this was pre them just taking over the world, you know? Yeah. And um, if you look at the comedic aspect of playing hip hop in Ireland, it has really, really worked. There's room for everything. Because the Rubber Bandits and because Versatile have gotten more airtime than any other hip-hop artist. Yeah. It kind of shows something that if we make, you know, this is, this is the country of people kind of laughing at themselves. Mm. So I can be dead serious in what I'm doing, but most of the rest of the time, I'm not going around like I am when I'm on the mic rapping. Yeah. I'm like, you know, kind of childlike. <laughs> I mean, there's also the effort of like turning it off and kind of being able to live yeah. you know, as yourself as opposed to just being in the bubble constantly. But, you know, speaking of kind of gaps in the ability to kind of help make different things work, yeah. um, it's a common one in conversation, mostly because it's still a conversation that we need to have in Irish hip hop. Um, you know, a, a lot of the kind of easy angles that on articles on you over the course of the time would have been women in Irish hip hop because yeah, there hasn't yeah. been that discussion. And mm. I know that that's kind of a real kind of... That, that's a real kind of uh, sticking point for a lot of people. That there hasn't been like a proper gender balanced kind of look at Irish hip hop in an mm. attempt to kind of frame everything. Around the mid-2000s there was yourself, there was Temperamental Miscellaneous. Um, now there's Sole and a bunch of others as well. Um, I suppose just how do you react to the conversation topic when it comes up when people are talking to you for various projects? Yeah, I mean, I, you know what? I, I used to be very dismissive about it because I just... I don't concentrate on my genitals all the time, do you know? Yeah. And, I, and like, so I used to be really dismissive for that because I had that attitude. I went, get over it, do you know? So what? Mm. Do you know? You've got that in your pants. I've got this. Yeah. So what? Do you know? It was like literally whatever. There's a guru I listen to, and <laughs> this is really crude, but it's funny. He said, the difference between men and women, puck it in, puck it out. <laughs> wow. So literally, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I, but I get it. I get it, and I know where people are coming from, and I don't mean to dismiss people's genuine need to voice or express where they're at. But it used to really frustrate the shit out of me. Yeah. Do you know? But now I'm like, okay, I get it. It's okay, you know? It's just kind of the representation discussion as well. When, I know, but if you look at hip-hop, like, look at music, look at every industry up to a certain date. Yeah. Like, the gender balance is only occurring now across all different types of disciplines, industries, wherever. Like, that, you know... Um, more women are just... And look at home life then as a result. Look at the family life as a result. Look at ba the lateness in which, uh, in the life of women, that babies are being born. The whole thing is being changed and altered, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, but, yeah, listen, you know, I get it and I understand, but I'm not saying it's a waste of time to discuss, but literally there's just... 
more important things to address. And that's my, my attitude. It's like, we've too much to get on with. I am creating a space for people, uh, men and women, and I want to achieve 50-50 uh, on the stage for Pack Animal, you mm. know? And um, yeah, it's amazing getting female musicians to agree to come and improvise for two hours, you know what I mean? And it's different to the fellas, because fellas just go, yeah, yeah, I'll try that out. And girls are like, what is it? When is it? What? Okay, can I listen to it first? I mean, because I get that, because we want to be excellent. Yeah. We want to be absolutely excellent. And in a way, maybe secretly somewhere, we are comparing ourselves to men and we are you know, saying, I need to be better than him. Mm. Well, I'd like to burn that notion. And I'd like to just not think about that anymore and just everybody be excellent, but not perfectionist. Because perfectionism is a complete limitation. And it stifles us, uh, us and it silences us. And if I'm comparing myself to you or anybody else, I've got a big fucking problem. Yeah. Because I'm either less than or more than all the time. It's bullshit. It's, it's very kind of the desiderata. Ego. It's rich. The, ver the, you know, the desiderata that there's always going to be people better or, or the, worse you, than you. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. like there, there is, and that's like, you know, whatever. But to actually give it time it within me means that I'm, I'm either inferior or superior complex yeah. all the time. And it's, that is of the ego, and that needs to be dissolved. That's a problem. We're just kind of coming back to picking up where you left off kind of earlier this decade, you took some time after uh, touring with Damien Dempsey, et cetera, yeah. coming back and you started being more active in Cork. Kind of what brought you to Cork in the first place and kind of what kind of appealed about the city to you and what kind of brought you here? Well, would you believe I've been, I was here um, first, uh, my dad's a professional actor and he came here with the first run of Blood Brothers. I don't know when, because I have terrible date yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I have no concept of time. But I came here as a child on tour with Blood Brothers, and it always stayed with me as an experience. It was the old hop opera house it, it, at the time. Yeah. Um, I also came back here uh, around 2005 and opened Wagamama because I used to be working in the hospitality industry for years, and yeah. I, was the, I was a staff trainer for Wagamamas in Cork. Mm. And I had a ball. And then, uh, 2009, 2010, I became seriously unwell. And I came to Kerry and then Cork to get treatment for my illness. And I realized at that time I couldn't go back to Dublin really and expect to continue to get better the way I wanted to. Yeah. Um, so I stayed in Cork and it just so happened that um, somebody suggested to me that there was a new uh, a degree in popular music going to happen in Cork School of Music. And I went for that. I was always doing stuff in the background anyway, you know, but literally the collapse was so severe that I, I was off stage for a number of years, you know. Because yeah. um, you had done some kind of solo stuff, like as you had been living in Cork, you had been doing appearances and spoken word appearances. Yeah, here and there, you know, but yeah. um, it, it really had to be managed. I, it took a long term to learn to go, to be back on stage in a healthy capacity. Mm. Um, so, God help you now. <laughs> <laughs> but a big part of that was, as you mentioned, going to the Cork School of Music and pursuing the pop degree, the BAPM. Mm. Um, I suppose, talk to us a little bit about... It's BAPM. BAPM. Yeah. Pad, Paddy BAPM. <laughs> sounds very much like someone from Limerick we all know. Um, 
but I suppose maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, taking it upon yourself to go back to the School of Music, mm. kind of with the sum total of your experiences, but also, mm. like you said earlier, going to, back to something at 35 years of age. There's a lot of people kind of approaching that age now that are kind of like, what we wanted to do when we grew up doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Or there's a great kind of, you know, there's a great kind of fear of doing new things or of taking new things on. Kind of, what was your take on heading there in the first place? And, you know, just kind of outline for us the experience going in with your experience to kind of put the piece of paper to the name and fill the knowledge gaps. Well, my, I, because of the illness, I, I experienced an utter and complete collapse of my whole life. Okay. Okay, I was really lucky to survive physically. And I was absolutely shattered and I felt I, I, I don't know how, how the hell I decided to go and do music college when I was shattered but you know it's not really the, but I went in that that happened and I went for it and you know and I really felt at the time because I was uh, my confidence was so low and and I was so shattered and so very vulnerable and raw and and uh, and as a result I was malleable and as a result I was teachable and so I went there under the guise of, um, this is the musicianship I have to have in order to be valid. Because I always had that. I always had this lack of, of uh, confidence in the background, even though I was running things. You know, yeah. I, I, I was a boss in loads of different ways, but I was completely and utterly insecure because I, I felt that I didn't have the musicianship. And as a result, I felt I didn't have the musicality. Because it's completely insane. It's like that being hijacked by the idea of stardom. Yeah. It's insane. It's like ill health, you know? When you're surrounded by people the whole time, like as a performer and as somebody that's, 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 that's running with all of these people, it can be hard not to compare yourself to others. Oh, my God. I, I, was, com I was, you know, comparing myself to others and feeling less than all the time. Now, I love to be in deep water. Yeah. I want to be surrounded by players that are far superior to me. That's a different thing. I want that all the time. I always want to be, and actually, I find myself maybe two, three times a week, I'm in contexts where I'm way out of my depth. Yeah. And I love that. That's how I live and that's how I grow. But it was different. It was in the background, I used to think that I was less than. I, I felt that because I didn't have musicianship, I didn't have musicality, which is fucking insane. Because if I have innate musicality. Like it's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, you're, you're given one way of doing things when you're younger and it takes a little bit of time to kind of cop on to what's inside of you and how to kind of progress with it. And that's, totally. that's, that's an ongoing journey. Yeah. But um, you came out of it with a master's degree, ultimately. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, like it's a different validation than, you know, yeah, being well received. Yeah, it's a context. Yeah. You know, it's a context and you, 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 it's a formality. It's an established contextual formality. You tick the boxes, you do the thing, you will learn as much as you want to learn. Um, but I've really felt for my other younger mu musician friends in the context. Yeah. Because they were mistaken. Uh, that They were mistaking it for it being the music business. As opposed to just hearing about things and as opposed to theory and Living the pure it, education. Coming yeah. up on open mics, going and, you know, competing for space and, and time and developing your own material, your own voice and continuing on the journey in that way. They, they are going to leave there and have to do that following that, you know. So I, I felt for them. It's an odd one because that 
whole kind of lived music industry experience, it's slowly starting to make its way into music education at third level. You're seeing BIM now yeah. running a music industry degree. Yeah. To a lesser extent, there's the Irish Music Industry podcast that Mark G from King Kong Company runs, mm. um, pursuant to his uh, teaching at WIT, the Rock School in WIT. Cool. Um, so like those elements are there, and I think like these are also lessons that the mindset is that people have to learn on their own. And again, throwing others into deep water before they can, yeah. that they can continue. But it's also much different waters yeah. than you would have, um, than, than yeah, you would have it's traversed. But people are still getting hung up on the idea that filling out an application form is going to get you a slot. Like, you need to cop on. Mm. The music business is completely and utterly lacking in transparency and is full of people that are making shit up as they go along. So, you know, an application form is not going to get you a... You can have all the musicianship in the world and all the musicality, but if you've got nothing to say... Mm. Then that can be hurt. Exactly. So, you know, like, you, I can fill out as many forms as I want. Yeah. It's not going to get me anywhere unless I've got something to say. And so that takes... I remember I was like lecturing in part-time lecturer in history and the Batten course. And, you know, I asked the lads, I was like, oh, look at, I was showing them a picture of a, a blues club in London or in Manchester. Yeah. And where Cream used to play, you know, where the, the lads from Cream. And I was like, oh, look at that dirty, dingy, dirty <laughs> staircase. Looks like a sweat box. It does. It's rapid. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, they were like, what? And I was there. What's the story, lads? Has anyone ever been to a rave here? Like, look at that dirty old staircase. Does anyone not look at that and go, oh, yeah. Behind that door is a just straight-up sweatbox rave, and it's going to be great. Like, But a lot of people in that level are kind of coming straight out of school. They have, like, preconceived ideas of what it is to be a musician or, yeah. would, or have other designs in mind, like music teaching. And that kind of leads me on to uh, my next point, in that you've had a very successful run thus far, of being a vocal tutor and working with Music Generation Cork yeah. kind of before and after getting your BA and your MA. Um, Music Generation Cork is part of the National Music Generation Programme, which is designed to give um, children of all ages and of, of different backgrounds the opportunity towards a full music education as well as practical music experience. Um, music Generation Limerick obviously is the kind of standout one in that. Amazing. That's where a lot of Irish hip hop and a lot of really good DIY music has come out of. DIY LK, Pow Pig, etc. has been really cool. Mm. Uh, you've been involved with Music Generation Cork, uh, GMC, Stevie G, yourself and others kind of operating out of the cabin in Knocknaheeny. I suppose, talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with Music Generation and what the provision of teaching and I suppose the responsibility of working with people younger than yourself uh, has brought to your own game as a musician and as, you know, as, as, as someone working with others? Um, well, <clears throat> this is my 14th year working with young people, would you believe? I was approached after a gig in Dublin nearly 14 years ago. And a girl came up to me and went, that's the most aggressive thing I've ever experienced. The intensity of what you do is, Jesus. She goes, have you ever worked with teenagers? <laughs> 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 and uh, there you go, the slipstream into, uh, you know, nearly 14 years later. And um, so to say I'm a teacher would be, Incorrect, but I a don't. Music I, educator. I, I, you know, uh, it's funny to try and find the word, but I, I guess I'm an agitator. If there was anything like that, <laughs> 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 that's probably what I am. 
Uh, you know, so often young people go, you can't say that to me. And I go, why not? And they go, put, 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 you know, and, and I go, come on, let's, 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 I challenge, agitate, but also I create a space, I hold a space for young people to, to any, any human to be able to find their authentic voice, to pathway to themselves and how then to express that is their own, their own choice, you know? But Music Generation has been amazing and I've been working with them for a number of years, but I guess when um, I came to Cork in 2010, I began to go to the hut in Grand Braher and I, this is now coming into, we're approaching my 10th year, you know? Mm. And um, it's amazing. There's been young people there that, that were 12 when I began. They're 20 Mental. now, like, which is just, you know, 21. Like, they're, they're, it's amazing. And doing music in college or doing film or doing theater, Danny, Danny Power has just been the lead role in Christie. Yeah. The two lads, Daniel Sheehan and Danny Power, have just done the Cabinologist uh, Young Offenders video. There's Tiny MC, Darren and Jamie from uh, Farron Ree. Oh, the just two young like fellas that have been doing yeah the boy, like yeah. just, But that's all Gary McCarthy's stuff. That's, that's all. Gary McCarthy is just an absolute standout, complete and utter amazing human being and is just like... This is the result of years and years of Gary doing what he does. And I work with Gary, you yeah. know, so I'm, I'm blessed to be able to work with him. I'm on a few other projects as well, but, um, you know, Music Generation are just... It, music Generation Cork have been brilliant to me, and I, I just think they're a great organisation, you know, and long may it last, and I hope that every county in Ireland gets Music Generation because it's been, it's been brilliant, you know. Well, that's the intention, uh, apparently, going forward yeah. as um, Creative Ireland expands to provide music generation for every different county and for different areas. And um, you can only kind of watch that with interest as it expands. But aside from your work with music generation, you've also been a freelance vocal coach on your own, which, um, you know, I've spoken with people that have worked with you, etc., and credit you for helping them find their own voices and oh, kind of helping kind of tap into their own creative juices. Um, I suppose talk to us a little bit about you know, the dynamics of... Because when you're working in a project with younger people, you're maybe working in groups and you learn to be gregarious and you learn to talk to a room. So I did the same thing with media lecturing. Yeah. You, you learn to kind of be a bit more Socratic with, with younger people that are being cheeky. Um, but when it's one-on-one, etc., mm. you know, you're learning to negotiate different personalities and you're learning to talk to different people in different ways. So maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, vocal coaching and your experience uh, of it. Um, I, I wouldn't... Yeah, I don't have that much to be honest, you know, I've had amazing vocal coaches. Um, I've had Anya Whelan, um, I've had uh, Leisha Leahy, and I've had Dr. Patricia Rooney, and they've been incredible vocal coaches in terms of being a singer. But um, I'm so, I'm such an uns, I'm just not a singer, like, I sing, yeah. but I'm not, I have not spent my whole life singing. Yeah. And actually, it took it took about six weeks the first time I, I got to... I found it so incredibly uh, challenging in terms of how intimate it was to even open my mouth by myself with the vocal coach. I was crucifyingly shy. And that's at 35, having been on stage for years. Like, so, complex. A complex individual. But, and singers are. So I do relate in that way. But... Um, you know, so for me, what I do is, rather than being a vocal coach, I, innate, I, I, I help individuals find their way to voice their 
their expression. Mm. And it's so, I can, I'm trained to bring you into a room and do singing lessons with you. Yeah. But it's not my style and it's not my, it's not my thing. Do you know, of course I can do it with you, no problem. But really, I'm about you finding your way to your authentic voice. So one-to-one is, is actually way more intimate again, you know. And because I've had to go through it myself and found it really, really difficult, and it has stood to me massively, um, I, I want to offer that same thing to people when they need it, you know. And um, so far... Uh, people have been, you know, I've, I've, I see people grow in front of me, like, right in front of me. I mean, there's, there's nothing more rewarding than that, you know, uh, absolutely nothing, you know. And I mean, working with children as well, they'll stick it to you, like. Of course you know? they, they don't know how to do anything else. It, but they're brilliant, you know, they're like, I inhibited you. That's what I was hearing during the week, you know, because I wanted to sit down and I couldn't say, I inhibited you, you know, and you're just like, yeah, you did. It's like, I can't do anything about it. How do you even it. deal with that? How do you answer that? <laughs> you did, fair uh, play. I totally buzz off their heads. Like, they're, they're children. They're amazing. They're pre-being conformed. Yeah. They're uncontrollable. Most of the time, you just babysit, you know, but like <laughs> every now and then you get to like, you know, do something. <laughs> but um, there's the lads outside. Yeah, that got a fantastic <laughs> response now, in fairness. People really uh, spoke up with that. But, you know, finding yourself and authenticity and kind of, you know, doing the hardy arts in order to find that part of yourself mm. uh, has led you to, as we've been discussing throughout the podcast, uh, Pack Animal which is your improvisational project with a hand-selected lineup every month at the yes. Crane Lane Theatre. And you've mentioned that this has been your kind of, your vehicle to finding the best in yourself, as mm. you can imagine. Um, and I suppose talk to us, uh, Well, do you know, that's improv, like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like, talk to us a little bit, I suppose, about how that's been going from month to month, kind of how you've been developing the project, how an improv band kind of moves laterally between different ideas and kind of where you see it going forward. Because like, I see it every month, the advertising on Facebook, etc., and it's like Roman numerals, like every single thing <laughs> is a standalone <laughs> thing that exists. <laughs> just, just talk to us about kind of framing Pack Animal uh, as, a, as, a, as a sequential thing and as a project. And talk to us a little bit about kind of how that kind of has brought you full circle towards your own uh, By the way, just to say, if anybody knows of a Gaelic way of actually, you know, n- putting numerals on, <laughs> uh, that's not ohm. <laughs> just take a picture of an ohm stone with like a different number of cards in every month. Yeah, that would be very helpful. If anyone can send me in a Gaelic way of doing the numerals, that would be class. Um, Mike at redfm.ie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, look, I'm loving it. I am at home in Pack Animal. I am absolutely at home. I um, I haven't released the stuff yet, but everything is r- recorded every Ooh. time. Um, I have visuals. Um, obviously, I'm trying to do everything myself, so sometimes visuals will fail, sometimes stage sound will fail, sometimes desk sound will fail. But um, I know that after some time... Um, I'll be in total flow of things. Um, I'm just about to approach Kate uh, O'Shea about uh, doing another residency next year. So I hope to, hopefully, all going well, I'll be able to do April to December again next year. Yeah. Um, but look, it's just absolutely brilliant for so many reasons. Musicians and artists and players are totally thrilled to do it, uh, totally challenged. They, uh, you know, 
they they they're they are giving everything they can they they die on stage they live on stage you know our conversation is crap sometimes and people aren't listening and then people listen and then there's magic and there's peaks and there's troughs and everything is evolving and everything is about really trying to remain present the whole time so for me that's a representation of life that's life and so if i can be present for two hours completely present for two hours once a month it's brilliant and it's actually affecting the rest of my life like that as well but it's it's an it's allowing other people to be able to experience that. I've had years and years of being allowed to do whatever the hell I want on stage all the time. Other people haven't had that. So I wanna, prov I wanna give that opportunity to people. Come and learn, like do it on stage with me, you know what I mean? Even people contacting me from Dublin to come and do it. Um, it and I'm trying to like go, how can I do a pack animal with like four singers? Or like, how can I do a pack animal with two drummers and a tabla player or, can we have a string section pack animal? Can we have, you know, like literally just that's what's happening. So it's completely exciting for me, you know, and I just need a way of properly documenting it. And um, yeah, I want to have a page in my website that's a pack animal page and a profile for every single player who comes through. And so to really like, you know, help lift people. Yeah. You know, I'm about ascension and in, in our vibration, in our spirit. And so the smiles that I see after that gig is priceless to me. Because a lot of the time, musicians are really struggling to be valid in, in society. And, you know, we have to work in the, in the black economy. You know, we have to, there's loads of ways in which we're discriminated against. And it gets to us, and it, we undervalue ourselves as a result. So when I can get off stage and people are beaming, I mean, I, I don't give a fuck about anything else. You know what I mean? That's amazing. Like, and they've given everything they had. And, or sometimes they just run away because they need to cry. Like, and that's cool. I've done it. I've had to cry loads of times. Running you know? into the crane lane smoking area for a cry. Though. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Best of luck to you. Arthur Mayans upstairs. <laughs> they do really good cocktails there. Especially non-alcoholic ones. That was a non-paid uh, promotion for those of you that are uh, yeah, listening would, on the podcast. Yeah, but it's really good. Like for people who don't drink alcohol, it's like great. Speaking of Pack Animal and heading into next year uh, with the crane and what have you, what's next for yourself? Because like you've mm. accomplished so much, and you've kind of taken it upon yourself to kind of refine and come out of things even better and stronger, and with a greater sense of, you know, a greater sense of purpose in creating it and kind of heading into 2020 now, which is future numbers now that yeah. we think about it. Deltron 2020. There, exactly. Like, what are your thoughts now heading into the new year, and what's next for Ophelia McCabe? Well, um, there's been a number of projects going on, so just to mention them, that I have been playing with Barry Wilson on his, uh, his journey. Yeah. So we, I'm, I'm not sure where that's going to go from now, but we'll see about that. There's the Love Movement, um, which was uh, playing the music of A Tribe Called Quest, and now we're possibly moving into making original music together. So yep. that could be coming up. Um, Pack Animal is a definite... I'll find some way to continue that because it's just shit cool and the Ophelia stuff is um, yeah it's that's what I'm developing in the background I did my first show for Cork Jazz 
um, Ophelia stuff. Oh, forgot to mention as well, I do a reggae band called Yes I, which is totally fucking class. So First uh, time hearing of this, and I cover like the gig guides, etc. Yeah, well, uh, I managed to gather uh, six other women, and we play classic reggae, and it is hopping, popping, and deadly buzz. Class. <laughs> I absolutely love it, and we love it. And uh, But uh, Ophelia stuff, yeah, I need space. And time. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> looking forward to it. Class. <laughs> so I'm, I've, got, like, I, I've got years and years of material that I want to release. I want to make records. Yeah. And so, so it's beginning. It's happening now, you know, finally. And I just want to create space and time for myself in 2020. So at some point, I'm going to dive straight in completely and be a living artist. Um, and step back from other things for a while so that I can concentrate on making records and doing that because that's what I need right now, you know? And that's what you want in general. Like that's, that's what I want, yeah. Class. And, you know, I've lived out my, my uh, musical experience. I've lived it on stage. And uh, I am a fiend for records, as we all are. And, yeah. uh, you know, I just, yeah, I just need some records out. And, I, and, I, and it's just too much fun not to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just procuring that time and space to be able to do that right now. That's all I'm, I have all the equipment I need. I've bought all the leads and all the everything, you know, everything. I have everything. So I just need time now. So we procure a beat out of you before we finish up with even daily buzz class. Uh, you got one last <coughs> tune for us. Well, like you, you open with can you feel it? Uh, maybe talk us through what you're closing up with us. Um, well, this is you remind me, and it um, was inspired or originally came out of a jam with uh, Bass Needs, which was a band that I formed in my last year of my masters. Yeah. And um, this is with just me and the lads. Yeah, with just me. Well, uh, any opportunity I get to work with uh, Justin, I I do. And uh, are they shushing us? I don't care. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Shut up out there. But um, so basically, yeah, any chance I get to play with Justin or have anything to do with cutting heads, I, I do because they're just it's just total positron vibes, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're they're just amazing to play with. But um Adam O'Leary was in that band and Eamon Barry. And for a year we jammed and I took the jams, cut them up and created tunes out of it and then we brought it to stage. But unfortunately, because of everybody's hectic lifestyle in, in being a, an active uh, musician, we couldn't, I, I couldn't get them together in the way that I wanted to to continue that solid, regular uh, uh, growth as a band. So it's not that it's not happening anymore, but all that material is about to be presented in records anyway. Do you know? Yeah. And it's totally class. I love it as well. So, class. Um, we hear it? Yes. This nice is one. you, remind me. Woo!
That was Irish hip-hop legend Ophelia McCabe in conversation with the Red on Red podcast at Winthrop Avenue, just off Caroline Street in Cork City Centre. Many thanks to those in attendance, to Winthrop Avenue for having us on a busy day, and to live recordist Tommaso O'Brien for his work on this week's episode. Ophelia's improvisation outfit, Pack Animal, is set to return in the new year. And for more info on her upcoming music and dates across various projects, you can find her on Facebook. That's Ophelia with a zero at the start. That's all for this week's episode of Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast from Red FM and RedExtra.ie. Thank you very much for listening. And if you like what you're hearing, please take the time to subscribe and leave a review on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, as well as other podcasting platforms. Please share this on your social media and make sure to check out the artists featured online or at an upcoming gig. And if you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen into Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish on Cork's Red FM, 104 to 106. This has been Red on Red, and we got something a little bit special for episode number 100 next week. Red on Red.